You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in on a Thursday edition of the Locked On Cougars podcast. Plenty to get to ahead on today's episode. We continue with our 100 seasons of BYU football countdown. A new decade, 1940 is upon us. Of course, World War II in the background. We'll examine how the Cougars did in the fourth season under Eddie Kimball. An interesting innovation in this season that we'll get to as well. We'll also continue on talking about other BYU sports. Obviously, we'll catch up on the news you need to know about. In addition to answering your guys' questions, the hashtag Twitter Thursday edition of the show addressing your guys' questions you submitted via social media. So plenty to get to ahead on today's podcast. Our title sponsor on today's show is our good friends at Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all of the parts your car, truck, or SUV could ever need. Check them out at rockauto.com. All right, without further ado, let's have some fun here on a Thursday. This is the Locked on Cougars podcast for May 13th. 2021. What's up, my friends? I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars. I work for the Zone Sports Network in Salt Lake City, Utah. I am also your BYU insider. Thanks again for taking some time to join us on your daily podcast focused on all things BYU Cougars. Plenty to get to ahead on today's show, but a reminder for you guys that listening to this podcast is as simple as using your, using your voice, excuse me. What I mean by that is use your smart device. Work smarter, not harder, is that old adage. Well, tell your smart device, play podcast Locked On Cougars or play the Locked On Cougars podcast, whether it's your smartphone, your smart speakers. They're always listening to you. Let's be clear about that, but they will listen to you and play my podcast, and I would love to have you guys along for the ride every single day, no matter what you might be doing on your commute tour from work getting a workout in, spending time, your downtime at home, no matter what it might be. Thanks again for taking some time, carving it out to join us right here on the show. Getting going here on a Thursday, and we're going to start off with something we usually do in what we like to call the B block or the second segment of the podcast, and that is our 100 seasons of BYU football. Getting to your guys' questions here in a little bit as well in the B block, but today we're talking about 1940 for the Cougars in football. It was a new decade for BYU, no doubt about that. Obviously, they had World War II raging over in Europe and not reached home shores here in the United States in 1940 for BYU's football program and the rest of football programs around the country. But BYU didn't have a great season in 1940. 2-4-2 two, two overall, 2-3-1 two, and one in the Mountain States Conference, finishing in the middle of the conference once again for the second straight year, fourth place out of seven teams. But BYU battled. Well, let's run down the schedule here, and then we'll talk about some of the innovations and notes that you need to know about 1940. But we'll start off with this. BYU opened the season at home against the University of Nevada, the Wolfpack, tied that game 6-6 in Provo. Then the following week went to Utah, fell behind 12-0. BYU added a touchdown late trying to rally, but ultimately fell once again to the University of Utah 12-6. Their first win in rivalry series history, 
quote-unquote officially, even though we don't count the 1890s for some random reason, comes up here in a few days. We'll talk about that. BYU followed up that loss against Utah with a 20 to nothing drubbing of Wyoming. Then they went to Utah State, winning that game 12-7. And then for the first time as a program, they traveled to the Lone Star State. They went to Texas Tech to take on the Red Raiders, the first opponent they had ever faced out of Texas. And it was a tough game for BYU, but they ultimately fell 21 to 20 and a safety in the first half proved to be the difference for Texas Tech. They got 19 points otherwise, but that safety in the first half really proved to be the difference in a 21 to 20 win for the Red Raiders over the Cougars. But then BYU, oh sorry, I screwed that up. They went to Texas Tech, lost 21 to 20, then came back to Provo and beat up on Utah State 12 to 7, downing the Aggies in the process. Then they suffered back-to-back losses against their Colorado portion of their schedule, getting shut out by Denver in homecoming fashion, 9 nothing losing to uh, Colorado 25-2 in Boulder and then finishing out the season with yet another tie, a 13-13 deadlock with Colorado A&M, which is now Colorado State. So that's how the season played out for BYU, a very much a middling season, the first losing season for Eddie Kimball in his fourth year at the helm of BYU's program. But some interesting innovations this year. BYU obviously runs behind the times, as we all know, in the modern day. Well, it's kind of happened that way as well. Eddie Kimball, since going to BYU, had been BYU's both head coach of football and basketball, as well as the acting director of athletics. Chick Hart, former coach of BYU, their second coach overall, was officially the athletics director, but he was pursuing a PhD during this period. Really left Eddie Kimball to kind of be the acting athletic director, but BYU finally decided, you know what, we need to have specialized coaches, and Eddie Kimball after the 1940 season, that was the last year that he spent as both the head coach of the BYU football and BYU basketball programs, Floyd Millett a longtime assistant of his ended up taking over as the head coach of the basketball program, in addition to that he was the head coach of the track and field teams, but very much uh, an interesting development there where BYU finally has a specialized, dedicated head coach for football, near nearly two decades into being a program, but an interesting note that we needed to pay attention to on this. Also, BYU in 1940 was the first college football program in the state of Utah to install lights at their home stadium. Yes, BYU, innovative in that era, 1940, puts in lights, was able to play night games through this season. It was the first time in the state of Utah's history that a college program had been able to do that. I'm unaware if any high school programs had the means to do that, so I would assume BYU was the first football program, period, to have played a night game under the lights there at BYU, or Y Stadium as it was called. As we have talked about, where BYU played home games during this era is not on the site where Lavelle Edwards Stadium sits now. It's actually where the Richards Building, if you're familiar with the BYU campus, the Richards Building, where a lot of intramurals, the pools for the BYU swimming and diving teams, where those are located, was the original BYU or Y Stadium, and that's where the first lights were installed to allow BYU to play night games. So really cool innovation there. The BYU was ahead of the curve on that. But then the most notable thing about 1940 for those of you listening to this podcast I know you guys hang on my every word and that's being a little facetious me saying that, was that BYU debuted maybe the worst or best uniforms in their entire history as a football program wearing blue and orange threads. You heard that right. Blue and orange was BYU's uh, their 
their uniform color combination for this season. It lasted only for two seasons through 1941. Many of you probably say, thank goodness. There have been some colorations of the pictures of this era. And you know what? The orange is an interesting color for BYU. And maybe Nike down the road decides, you know what? We really want to dig deep into the into the historical record for BYU and put together a blue and orange uniform for the BYU on a, in a retro game. Okay, that's probably not going to happen, but it is an option for Nike. They really like to get into the weeds sometimes when it comes to these retro uniforms, and you can't get any deeper into the weeds when it comes to BYU football than wearing a uniform combination that lasted for all of two seasons. But nonetheless, BYU did wear blue and orange uniforms for the first and probably only time in their history in 1940s. Now you're up to speed on 1940. We'll talk about the 1941 season tomorrow. Obviously 1941 uh, disrupted as the United States enters the conflict, the World War II conflict. Uh, that's kind of the biggest thing in this time period by the way around BYU football is the, just the specter of a world war. We have Germany invading Poland in 1939. It kicks off the war. In 1940, England and Germany are going back and forth fighting it out. Uh, there was a, Many of you who part of history uh, inclined know that during this period there were a lot of people calling for the United States to enter the conflict they were really in isolationist mode at that point really had no interest in doing it and obviously Pearl Harbor in 1941 on December 7th dragged the United States almost reluctantly into the war but we'll talk about this how it affected BYU moving forward but obviously that's kind of the backdrop of what BYU is doing many of the young men on these programs in these programs for BYU playing athletics no matter what it might be football or otherwise well, many of them ended up serving in the war down the road, and we'll talk more about that as we progress because there is a three-year gap upcoming, a three-season gap where BYU did not field a football team due to the war effort, and we'll talk about that in coming days. All right, coming up here in just a minute, we are addressing your guys' questions. It is a Twitter Thursday here on the podcast. Got some great questions from you guys that we will get to here in just a moment. Today's show is brought to you in part by our good friends at Rock Auto, folks. If you have any part for your car or truck that you're looking for right now, I'm going to say that rockauto.com has it for you guys. I 99.9% sure. I can't necessarily say 100%, but what I love about Rock Auto is they have hundreds of manufacturers with all the parts available for your car, truck, or SUV, and the best part is they're catalog really easy to use you can go in look for the brands the specifications excuse me if I get that word out of my mouth even the prices that you're looking to pay and they will filter it for you guys and you can find the right part for you that's what we love about rock auto it's a family-owned company been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years you can trust them they'll take care of you guys and the best part all the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably, reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers, or in my case, as I like to say, I'm a try-it-yourselfer. Maybe not so much a do-it-yourselfer at points, but nonetheless, why spend up to twice as much for the same parts, guys? Get over to rockauto.com, check it out, see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure while you're there, they're right locked on in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you to check them out. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all of the parts your car, truck, or SUV could ever need check them out at rockauto.com all right gang it is your time to shine here on the podcast it is a hashtag twitter thursday answering your guys's questions you have submitted on social media let's start off with our good friend robbie haskell he was the first submitted to submit a question so he gets to go first with his question robbie asks this quote how will at capacity stadiums affect players on the field will home field advantage be more advantageous this season as compared to past seasons 
Okay, Robbie, I don't have any numbers to quantify my opinion on this, so take it for what it's worth. It's worth whatever you want to gauge it is. It's a quote-unquote NFT out there, to use that kind of popular terminology right now. But I think the biggest thing this year is I think many of these student-athletes who experienced those empty stadiums last year, they are going to have extra juice, obviously, having fans in the stands. I sat there at Lavelle Edwards Stadium last year when it seemed like there were 10 people in the entirety of the stadium sitting in that press box with crowd noise being piped in. It was an eerie, awkward feeling to see BYU playing in front of literally nobody, it felt like. I am hopeful that we're going to have 60,000 crazy BYU fans out there at Lavelle Edwards Stadium this fall, and I do believe it will give extra juice to players because I think they realize with everything going on with the pandemic, all of that entailed with it, not having fans in the stands was a big, big thing, and I think many of these players who maybe thought, okay, yeah, you know what, fans, whatever, I think they realize that fans absolutely are a huge component, especially in college football, and I do think they will have a major impact this coming season. On to Logan, our good friend. Uh, he asked the question, outside of the field that they kind of are using, do you think BYU Athletics will use any of the old Provo High School property for any new facilities? That's a great question, Logan. And every time I have asked people who would be in the know, in my opinion, about that, is the response I have gotten is that BYU is still determining ultimately what the Provo High School property is going to be. They have housed a lot of different professors when they're doing upgrades on campus over there at the Provo High School facility, kind of a temporary housing situation. Housing is probably the wrong term, but when a, when a building is being renovated or they're doing work on the main campus, a lot of those professors and other workers have gone down to Provo High. They've also used it for storage. Uh, some of you may have seen the Harold B. Lee Library didn't have as many chairs and tables, obviously due to the pandemic. Well, all those are being stored over at the Provo High School campus, so it's kind of become a, a just kind of a whatever it needs to be. The ultimate decision of what it's going to be used for, I think very much still up in the air. I would absolutely love to see a football-specific facility built for the BYU football program, Logan. I think it, BYU football deserves it. Student-athlete building is great. Don't get me wrong. BYU has an entire floor to themselves there in that building, but we're talking about they're competing against programs who have palatial, uh, just what we'd call just a, a chateau almost, for their programs that BYU is competing against. So I'm hopeful at some point that BYU does get a standalone football facility. Maybe it is on the Provo High campus, or maybe they move other things over there and open up some space. Smith Fieldhouse is getting really, really old. I assume at some point that's going to have to be replaced. But you know what? I think that the ultimate thing is that BYU is still figuring out what they want to do with it. I would love to see more athletic facilities over there. Use that field. It was a turf field that was installed relatively recently. You can still use to great effect. I think BYU should utilize at least some of that land for athletics, but everything like I've been told, Logan, is that BYU still has not made a final decision on what that land will be used for, but hey, I'm with you. I'd love to see it be used at least in part for athletics and give uh, BYU football a little more of an advantage if at all possible. All right, the final question today comes from our good friend Rich Hart. I have been meeting with him recently. We'll tell you more about what I've been meeting with him about, but he asked me this question when I met with him yesterday, and Rich, you're the the best and he asked this question well jake what what are these players during this era we've been talking about so hearkening back to our previous segment talking about the 1940 byu football program he wants to know what the equipment
excitement was like, what things were like for BYU football and just football in general. Well, in 1940, we were still very much in the era of the quote-unquote leather helmet. Obviously, uh, not very safe for your dome, but you know what? We didn't know as much as we know now back then. I had two grandfathers who played football. Um, One thing I forgot to mention yesterday, by the way, and Rich, you'll probably enjoy this, is that my maternal grandfather, so my mother's father, was a standout athlete who lettered in track and field, football and basketball both at Delta and West High Schools. He split his high school career between Delta and Salt Lake City, ultimately graduating from West High School. Well, he had some really good performances in football and actually had BYU's coaching staff come and recruit him. And ostensibly, this era, it was 1939, I believe was his graduating class. And he had Eddie Kimball as well as some of the other BYU coaches approached him at one point during his high school career to gauge his interest in playing for the Y. Uh, he said that he told him what his size and weight and all that stuff was, and then essentially to use modern-day terminology, he was ghosted by BYU football. So my grandpa could have been the next big star for BYU football, but the coaching staff apparently did not like what they saw. I'll tell you this much, my grandfather went on to accomplish incredible things, served in World War II as a B-17 bomber pilot captain, uh, made multiple bombing raids over Germany, came home, went to the University of Utah, graduated, then went to Cal Berkeley, got his master's and finished up with a PhD and ended up spending 42 years, count them, 42 years as a political science professor at Brigham Young University. Some of you longtime listeners, if you were a student in the 1960s through the 1990s, you may have known his name, J. Keith Melville or James Keith Melville. That is my maternal grandfather. And Really cool, but he talked often about wearing a leather helmet in kind of the latter stages, latter years of his life, and how he said it's incredible to see what the equipment that uh, football has now. But funny enough, Rich, to answer another question for you guys, shoulder pads were being worn during this era. The shoulder pads overall shape and function and just overall how it operates or what it's, how it's worn all that, a lot of that hasn't changed since they began being incorporated into football. Uh, obviously, I know there are some out there who believe that they need to have upgrades made to shoulder pads to better protect players, but you know what? That, that is what it is. But during this era, very much thigh pads, knee pads, hip pads, all that stuff was very much in use. The biggest difference between that era and this era was the face maskless leather helmet. And there are some who have advocated for face masks to be taken off football helmets to lessen head trauma. It's a proven fact. You can look at the scientific studies that guys not wearing a face mask, let's say a rugby player, when you go in for a tackle and you don't have something protecting your face, you are more apt to tackle with your head out of the way, whereas guys who wear a face mask and have that quote-unquote invincibility feeling to them, well, they're more apt to do something rash, like use their head to tackle. So, interesting things. Obviously, leather helmets, not necessarily the best thing to protect your dome, protect your brain, but there were some interesting innovations during this time. So, that's kind of the funny thing is football, in terms of its overall uh, what we call protective equipment. A lot of it hasn't changed. Obviously, the, the the actual materials inside of them, jerseys have been upgraded, pads are lighter, all that stuff. But the overall function and look of football players hasn't changed all that much outside of wearing now what we plastic or, I don't know, what composite material helmets that have face masks on them. That's the biggest difference between back then and now. So hopefully that answers some of your questions, Rich. But uh, one of the things, a shout out to Rich and Insulin IQ. I've talked about them 
them on this podcast, folks. I've been meeting with Rich and Elevate Gym in Orem, Utah for the past two months. Insulin IQ is a website you can go check out, insuliniq.com. They have been absolutely revolutionary in my health journey. Many of you know I have talked about being overweight on this podcast. I started meeting with Rich just over two months ago, and in meeting with him and doing the system that Insulin IQ teaches you to do, I have absolutely seen my body transform. I'm not—I'm by no means a finished product, I can tell you that much. We are months away from being that quote-unquote finished product, and probably will never be that quote-unquote finished product, if we're being honest. But what Rich and his company have done for me, just absolutely astounding. So if you'd like to learn more about it, just a quick plug. They're not paying me for this. Go to insuliniq.com. You can check it out. Rich and his team are the best of the best. And I can tell you this much, I have dropped nearly 25 pounds overall in just over two months. And it's been absolutely life-changing. It's incredible. So once again, it's Insulin IQ. Rich, thank you, thank you, thank you for your support and helping me out along the way. And hopefully some more listeners you'll be able to help out along the way as well. All right, coming up here in just a minute, we We'll catch you guys up on everything else you need to know as a BYU fan here on a Thursday. BYU baseball opening a series on the road. Uh, A couple of results from the NCAA tournaments out there we'll get to as well. It's all coming up in mere moments. Today's show is brought to you in part by our good friends at betonline.ag. You hear me talk a lot about this company, but they truly are the fastest and easiest way for all of your ability to bet on sports. Uh, Really weird terminology there, but apologies for it. Baseball season is in full swing, and of course you you can track all the action at Bet Online. They've even got all the news, odds, and info for your sporting needs, including the MLB, NBA, NHL, even UFC, MMA action. You want to bet on golf, uh, pop culture, no matter what it is, Bet Online has got the odds for you guys, or they will create them for you if you don't see them on their website. They are that amenable to helping you guys out and having some fun. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all of the great sporting news. Sign up for their bonuses and even check out their contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game and get going with sports betting. And right now, you can still get a, a, take advantage of their 50% welcome bonus they're offering to our listeners. You heard that right. 50% added on to whatever you deposit for the first time when you use the promo code Locked On at betonline.ag. Free money to have some fun with. Give it a shot, folks. Cannot recommend it enough. That's BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, folks, catching you guys up on everything else you need to know as a BYU fan here on a Thursday. Let's start off on the golf course. Alicia May Mateo from the BYU Women's Golf Program. She had a shot of 5 over 76 yesterday to finish the NCAA Stanford Regional, tied for 52nd with a 54-hole score of 10 over 223. It's not good enough to advance for Alicia May Mateo, so that will end BYU women's soccer season and obviously she wanted to make it to nationals but she posted the second lowest score among the five individual competitors finishing ahead of Brittany Shin of Cal State Fullerton by one shot Holland Shores of Long Beach State by five and Victory Estrada of UVU just up the road by 10 strokes great season overall for BYU women's golf and congratulations to Alicia May Mateo BYU women's golf I thought should have made it as a team into the regional format but you know what BYU will now look ahead. They had uh, top five finishes in each of its last five events, including a third place finish at the WCC tournament. Hopefully better days are ahead for the women's golf program under Kerry Roberts' direction. Other notes today include Sean Hill. He'll be representing BYU at the NCAA Division I Men's Tennis Championships as a singles player. Uh, he will be the number two, oh, he was, excuse me, he was the number two alternate going into the tournament, but has made it into the field. He led the Cougars with 17 singles wins on the season 
season, competing in the number one spot all season long. He entered the Oracle ITA ratings at number 101 on April 14th, but was unranked for the remainder of the season. Obviously, he'll be looking to have a good finish to his season, and BYU men's tennis being well represented there at the NCAA Championships. Best of luck to him. That's expected to take place May 23rd through the 28th at the USTA National Campus in Orlando, Florida. Opponents, match times, that's all coming up later on, and we'll have more for you as we go along here. Final notes for you guys today include BYU Baseball. They open up a critical series at Pacific in Stockton at Klein Family Field tonight. First pitch in the first game of the three-game set is set for 6 o'clock Pacific time. That is 7 o'clock Mountain time. There will be a BYU radio broadcast with Gregor Bell and Tuckett Slade on the call. Check that out, 107.9 FM, also on the BYU radio app. There will also be a live stream link you can find at BYUcougars.com for the WCC network if you want to watch it streaming online. But looking forward to seeing how BYU baseball does. Hoping to close out their season with a nice run here. It's been an up and down year very much, so a lot of downs for BYU baseball. I know Mike Little would like nothing more than to go on the road and have a good showing against Pacific, but we'll have more for you guys on tomorrow's podcast about how game one goes and also looking ahead to the weekend. All right, that is going to do it here on a Thursday edition of the show. A big thank you once again for you guys' continued support of the podcast. Please follow the show on social media. Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Search us out, Locked On Cougars. My personal Twitter feed, if you'd like to weigh in there, is Jacob C. Hatch. Also, feel free to email the show anytime. LockedOnBYU at gmail.com is the email address. We love hearing from you guys, talking with you guys, and just getting your guys' overall take on things. Also, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you so desire. Five-star ratings really help us build our audience. We've had great results despite it being the off-season, great numbers download-wise and everything, and you guys are a big part of that. Obviously, leaving those ratings and reviews are critical, so please do so if you haven't done so already, especially on on Apple Podcast. All right, that'll do it here on a Thursday. Tomorrow is a Fan Friday edition of the show. Tyler Bergener is going to join us. He will be our guest host on tomorrow's podcast. We'll also look at the 1941 BYU football program in our 100 seasons of BYU football countdown. So plenty to get to ahead as we close out the week on a Friday. So stay tuned for that. Have a great day whenever you hear this. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast for May 13th, 2020.